This is the Journal of Ecology podcast. I'm Scott Chamberlain. Ecosystem services, pollination of crops, water filtration by aquatic organisms are an important management challenge in ecology. Quantifying and predicting ecosystem services can be difficult, but in a recent special feature in the Journal of Ecology, a set of papers address ecosystem services using plant functional traits. Sandra Lavarel is a professor at University Joseph Fourier in Grenoble. I recently caught up with Sandra to chat about a recently published special feature on plant functional effects on ecosystem services in the Journal of Ecology that Sandra uh, organized. So I'm Sandra Lavarel. I'm a research scientist with CNRS, the French research organization, and I'm working at the Alpine Ecology Lab in Grenoble. Um, I'm an ecologist and I focus on the dynamics of ecosystems in relation to global changes and how these translate into ecosystem services. We're here to discuss uh, this special feature in the Journal of Ecology that, uh, that you're, you have coming, up, coming out soon on uh, plant functional effects on ecosystem services. Um, first off, could you sort of um, define what we what you mean by ecosystem services and are there specific ones that uh, that are that are relevant to, to plants? Very uh, simply defined, ecosystem services are the benefits that society derives from the functioning of ecosystems and, in particular, from their biodiversity. Um, so they actually uh, point to the fact that um, humans um, depend on ecosystems for their livelihoods. And they actually articulate this concept in order to um, support, um, if you will, the interest of biodiversity for societies. So examples of um, ecosystem services that plants contribute to include carbon sequestration or, for example, pollination of crops or wild species, or um, also the cultural value of landscapes. So what was the, the motivation behind this set of uh, papers in the, in the upcoming special feature? So ecosystem service research has been a blooming field for the last nearly 10 years now. Um, and this is in particular in response to the increasing policy and management prominence of the concept of ecosystem services. In parallel to that, um, biodiversity research is, of course, a very productive field, and the two have have, have kind of met. Um, and so, um, one of the challenges for the quantification of ecosystem services is to better incorporate ecological knowledge. This is really quite important because um, these days, um, policy and uh, landscape design decisions are being made on the basis of ecosystem services. So really, we need to make sure that the best ecological knowledge is incorporated into this. Stepping back a little bit, uh, what are the different ways that ecologists approach um, prediction of ecosystem services um, besides um, a sort of trait-based approach? Uh, And how does this trait-based approach compare to the other approaches? Well, the simplest way that one can quantify ecosystem services is essentially to take a patch of land and to just say, okay, well, this is a forest, this is a grassland, I'm going to take an average value of a particular ecosystem service, say carbon sequestration, for that piece of land. And I'll apply that same value all over the landscape, you know, whatever the details of context, be it topography, soil type, or species are present. 
Of course, this is a gross simplification, which might be relevant when mapping over large scales and when little information is available, but we believe that we can do better than that. Well, the first thing that one can do is, of course, to take into account various landscape features, like topography, gradients of altitude, or, for instance, slope, and also um, soil types. But still, that doesn't reflect the uh, nuances in um, biodiversity variation across landscapes. And this is where trait-based and other more um, specific approaches come in by proposing that we can actually bring in mechanistic understanding of how plants contribute to ecosystem functioning into the quantification of ecosystem services. So in the paper, you in, your, um, in the introduction and paper to the special feature that you wrote, you touched on uh, three topics uh, that I wanted to, to ask you about, and we'll just mm -hmm. go, go um, through them in turn. So the first was the uh, plant economic spectrum. And so, so for those aren't, that aren't familiar with this, this literature, what is the uh, plant economic spectrum and how does it uh, relate to ecosystem services? Okay, so um, the uh, term leaf economic spectrum was uh, coined by Ian Wright and collaborators in 2004 to um, uh, picture the fact that um, when one looks at all types of plants on Earth, there appears to be um, a, a continuum between plants that will actually tend to turn over um, nutrients and carbon very quickly, so they're good at acquiring it, but they also recycle it quite quickly. Uh, they have fast synthesis, but the tissues degrade quickly. And on the uh, other opposite, plants are called conservative, which um, tend to function more slowly, and so they acquire resources uh, more slowly, but once they've got them, they hang on to them. And so, for instance, in the face of herbivory, there are going to be plants that are hard to access for um, herbivores um, because it is expensive for them to make this tissue. Mm. Recently, um, so initially this was defined um, with um, observations of leaf traits, but recently has been demonstrated that this actually applies to the whole plant and that there's an integration um, from the leaves to the stems and to the roots of this same principle, uh, which is a continuum from fast-functioning plants uh, that um, turn over nutrients fast to plants that function more slowly and hang on to nutrients. So um, in terms of their relevance to ecosystem services, um, what an increasing number of, of uh, studies have been showing in the recent years um, is that when one um, wants to look into services that are related to biogeochemical cycling, like carbon cycling or um, fertility related to the cycling of nitrogen or possibly uh, phosphorus, um, the leaf economic spectrum appears to be strongly linked with the ability of ecosystems um, to contribute to these services. So if you will, um, one can consider the uh, leaf economic spectrum or the plant economic spectrum as an indicator for some of the ecosystem services. Okay. Um. So the, the, the next topic that you discussed was the, um, the uh, community-weighted mean effects versus the functional divergence effects. Um, so, so there are a number of ways that plant traits 
can uh, contribute to ecosystem services. And so I was wondering if you could explain the difference between these um, community-weighted mean effects and the functional divergence effects. So um, there are essentially um, two contrasted ways um, in which a community of plants can contribute to ecosystem services. The first one, which appears to be the most common one and in a way makes sense, is that the contribution of plants that bear different traits is proportional to their biomass in the community. So in other words, uh, the plants that are strongly dominant in a community that have the highest biomass will tend to dominate the functioning. And it's really the imprint of their traits that will be manifested um, in terms of um, uh, biogeochemical cycling or other functions. In contrast to that, uh, functional divergence effects emphasize not the mean of the community and so def and, and therefore the uh, contribution of the most dominant plants, but um, the variability of trade values within a community. So what it actually um, refers to is the fact that um, there might be complementarities among plants with different traits, for example, plants with um, different um, rooting depth um, in the uh, resources that they um, acquire. And then when that, when put together in a community, um, the sum of their contributions might be more than the sum of their individual contributions. They, so this is, this is called non-additive effect or sometimes complementarity effects. Mm -hmm. okay. And so um, there, uh, there has been um, only a few studies that, ha that have um, uh, analyze these functional divergence effects, but um, nevertheless, there's an increasing amount of evidence for these these effects, although they are not um, the most common as compared to the community-weighted mean effects. So you mentioned in your in your review that um, it would be hard to disentangle these two um, effects in the field, the community-weighted mean and the and the and the sort of functional divergence non-additive effects. Um, so, so have there been any theoretical investigations of this problem, and, and if so, um, how, what have they found, and, and, and how they, um, or, or is this only something that could be done in the field? Um, so, one of the issues is that it is indeed very hard to um, distinguish community-weighted mean and functional divergence effects in the field. Um, when one uh, wants to test these effects. Um, one uses um, different statistics um, to tell them apart. But um, the problem is that very, well, the first problem is that um, community-weighted means and functional divergence, um, depending on the indices used, tend to be correlated because they are both driven by the relative abundances of species. And um, the, um, the other problem is that um, very often community-weighted mean effects are strong and so functional divergence effects are going to be marginal to these effects. Mm. So um, it, it becomes tricky to, um, to um, identify them. So this is why Andre Diaz and collaborators in this special issue propose to um, develop a theoretical framework to um, properly investigate their relative contributions 
by sampling in um, experimental communities. So we're no longer talking about um, observing natural communities here, but in um, assembling experimental communities um, to actually sample the whole space of variation of um, community-weighted means and functional divergence for one or several traits, um, and thereby be able to um, essentially be free from this um, correlation effect, which tends to happen in the field. The next topic was ecosystem services across um, trophic levels, uh, and you mentioned the, one of the papers in the special feature by Storky et al. Um, uh, you described how plant communities with um, high specific leaf area and low leaf dry matter content supported more invertebrates which impacted resources for uh, farmland bird populations. So is, it, is this sort of multiple ecosystem service effect from plant traits common? Um, this, is, this kind of effect is particularly interesting um, because it actually um, involves uh, not one uh, trophic level, the plants, but multiple trophic levels. So here we have the plants, the invertebrates that it deceives, and the birds that eat the invertebrates. Um, this is totally uh, new research. It hasn't been cast, of course there has been um, research on trophic networks for a long time, but it's only extremely recently that um, a few uh, researchers have started to incorporate the plant trait approach into analysis of such um, trophic uh, interactions. And so, um, these types of interactions might be more common than we think, but so far we have very little evidence for them. You discussed the management potential for um, the trait-based approach a little bit um, for, for ecosystem services in your paper. So how would findings from, from this type of research be used, used in practice? Well, the first point is that... Um, <laughs> the first point is that... Um, we highlight um, with the various papers some traits that tend to repeatedly be involved in um, determining ecosystem services. And uh, we discussed earlier the case of leaf economic spectrum. That's mm -hmm. one of them. Right. Um, and so knowing that these traits, um, uh, let's take, for instance, leaf nitrogen concentration, um, contribute to multiple ecosystem services, might help us um, managing um, ecosystems towards enhancing or reducing the value of these traits, and thereby we can start playing with ecosystem services. Um, the um, other uh, finding that might be used in uh, practice is that um, some uh, of the traits vary uh, independently from each other. Mm -hmm. So, for example, leaf nitrogen uh, concentration, which I was just referring to, um, is known to vary independently from plant height. And so this means that uh, we can have all combinations of them. So if these two traits contribute to different services, it means that we can have both um, ecosystem services at once. We don't have to trade off between them. Mm, okay. So, so I guess what I'm trying to get at, um, too, is, is lit like literally what would a, a land manager do, you know? Like, would they... It seems like the only thing you could do is, is um, you know, change the composition of plants or the relative abundances of different species with particular traits. Um, 
in the community, you know, you couldn't probably couldn't wait for traits to, to evolve or anything. <laughs> so you just sort of manipulate the, the community composition. Yes. Um, so, um, in fact, well, when thinking um, about grasslands, for instance, uh, manipulating composition is what farmers have been doing all, the whole time, right? right. Um, so it's, it's like if one fertilizes, um, this will promote plants that are richer, richer in uh, nitrogen that tend to be taller. Um, if grazing is applied, this will also promote some um, grazing tolerant plants, often with um, uh, nutrient-rich tissue or some plants are resistant to grazing. Mm -hmm. So this is a way that one can start manipulating not only uh, this composition and the primary service of um, production, grass production in this instance, mm -hmm. but by knowing which other services move along um, the dynamics with this particular service of production, uh, for instance, carbon sequestration, one can start to manage multifunctionality. Um, of particular interest are uh, situations of management of intermediate intensity, which will often allow to reconcile the provision of both production, biodiversity, and, say, carbon sequestration. You just mentioned multifunctionality. Uh, that's something something that you talked about in your in your introduction to the special feature. Um, so, can you elaborate a little more on on how uh, understanding? Um, Plant functional uh, ecology will help help in, in, in managing multiple services. Well, the, the idea here is that um, we've known for a long time already in uh, in ecology and in evolutionary biology that there are trade-offs in what organisms can do um, and plants in particular. Um, so um, the idea here is that um, by knowing how these um, trade-offs um, play uh, within the ecosystem. So again, to go back to the um, example of the, the leaf economic spectrum, it is a trade-off in individual plant, plant functioning, which scales up to the entire ecosystem, where one can um, actually um, develop a better understanding of what are the ecological hard constraints to multifunctionality. So this um, then has two types of consequences. It um, first identifies which combinations of ecosystem services are going to be flexible, so hard traits. And it also um, will allow to identify which best combinations of traits will allow to obtain multiple ecosystem services. We have been speaking with Sandra Lavaro for the Journal of Ecology podcast. I'm Scott Chamberlain.